but we started looking at our business as an ecosystem as opposed to a hierarchy. And out of that, we've developed an operating system that is based on self-management. Self-management is very popular. Zappos was really big into it at the time. Netflix was doing a lot of like freedom and responsibility. Um, culture making and we drew on a lot of the wisdom there and then really made a system that became our own that is now how we run our business and it gives employees autonomy we don't have managers or bosses and we've just found a way to make it work welcome to the ending poverty together podcast i'm eric and i'm shalane we're here to discuss big questions about poverty in bite-sized ways Kate Masson has been the community manager for the Ian Martin Group since 2012. In her role, she endeavors to establish a community of belonging and shared accountability for staff through a self-managed operating system and a genuine spirit of care for those in the organization. Kate, we are so grateful that you're taking time today to help us deepen our understanding of how business leaders' leadership intent can actually create lasting change. So, welcome to our podcast, Kate. Thank you for having me. So happy to be here today. Kate, we always start these podcasts by asking our guests to complete a sentence. So we're just going to jump right in here and start there as well. If you could please finish the sentence for us, poverty mm -hmm. is... Well, that's a loaded one. Um, mm -hmm. The first word that comes to mind, and this is not a full sentence, is systemic and systematic, if I'm using those words correctly, um, and oppressive. But to be honest, um, my family and I have just completed a huge road trip across North America, and it's interesting how poverty pops up in small towns. Mm -hmm. And I think the word that comes to mind is it's exhausting. Poverty mm -hmm. is a really tiring way of living uh, when you're constantly scrounging and um, just can't make ends meet, it's a very tiring way to live. And I, uh, yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. It's a great question. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, that firsthand experience. Exactly. It's so recent for you. I'm I'm curious too to kind of back up to the bigger picture for you, Kate. You know, I had a look at the Ian Martin Group website, and it says that you're a family of companies that provide specialized hiring support across a broad range of industries. Mm -hmm. So I am curious, and I'm sure some of our listeners are too, what brings you to a podcast called Ending Poverty Together? Well, here we are. What does staffing have to do with poverty? Mm -hmm. I'm in a bit of a unique position, and I will um, try to keep my story kind of short and sweet. But uh, my husband and I own the Ian Martin Group and have since 2010. And we were infants when we took over. We took over, um, we're third generation family owners. So we actually took over from my husband's father, who was going through um, early onset Alzheimer's. So it was a crazy mm -hmm. time in our family. And we just didn't uh, know what we were going to do with the business. My husband was a software developer. I worked in Toronto at um, Young Street Mission, which is mm -hmm. a, um, well, I don't even know how they would call themselves or what they would, def how mm -hmm. they would currently define themselves. They're obviously a charity. They've been in Toronto for a hundred years. They started um, serving soup on downtown in Young Street and they have become a very, a broad group. And I was working with them in a, um, a neighborhood called Regent Park um, and doing community development work, expanding into a neighborhood called St. Jamestown. And so when we were transitioning into ownership and just thinking through like, wow, here we have this 
big staffing company. So we serve um, enterprise clients all over North America. We have staff in Canada in about um, 10 different locations. Obviously, that has changed now with COVID. But um, we were just thinking, how do we transition it? So my husband ran, is our CEO. He ran the business for a couple of years. I had a child transitioned out of a leadership role in Young Street Mission to kind of permanent parenting, experimented with that for about 18 months and realized that I'm not, I'm not the person who should be a very um, solely a home homemaker full full time. Um, hmm. And I thrive with people. So I ended up in the business. Hmm. I did our marketing department for a little while. And in that time, there was just this transition of like, wow, I had been focusing my life and my career since graduating in television, but that's a whole other story that was very short lived, became kind of communications in general. And I hmm. just focused on um, neighborhoods in Toronto that were entrenched in poverty. And all of a sudden I was walking around in these towers in downtown Toronto. It had been a whirlwind of like ownership mm. transition. And I just thought to myself, what am I doing here? Like you meet people in the hallways and I just felt like everybody was masked. Not right. literally at that time, very yeah. pre-COVID, but yeah. very yeah. non-open, you know? And mm. that's the, I, mm. I mean, not to generalize, but there is something beautiful about poverty work in that, like, you can't afford a mask, to be honest, for the most part. People are very mm. raw, mm -hmm. very vulnerable, um, and just really open and, and clear with their needs, direct. And so there's this beautiful exchange when you're learning how to do that work in a dignified way. Um, and all of a sudden, all of that beautiful, vulnerable exchange in these office high rises felt gone. So my husband and I um, were faith were a faith based family. We met at working at a Christian camp. Um, tons of leadership experience in a camp environment. And for him, he was like, "How do we bring the servant leadership world into?" The corporate environment. For me, I started looking at our business and I just thought like, oh, how do we bring dignity into this place? Like I'm used to doing dignity work. Mm. How do we connect at a soul level with people in this world? And then when we're doing that and connecting and loving them and just trying to be more real, how then do we turn and think about like serving the community more broadly? Mm -hmm. um, and that was a long journey. So that's probably why I'm here with you to some degree is, um, did that work for about 10 years, just thinking about how do we shift the culture of business to not only be really healthy in, a, in its own entity. We started there. We didn't start with community first only because that just, well, there was a, there's an element of that. Like Tim's parents had always been philanthropists and mm. very much like their perspective was make tons of money. Don't really care how you do it. That's not entirely true. That's unfair. But like they were just really like, they were like business first. And then with mm. the profits, we will be the ones who decide how we spend those kingdom dollars in the kingdom, which was awesome and very beautiful and a huge reason that we wanted to continue the business. Um, but then we just had to figure out what does that iteratively look like in our hands. Mm -hmm. And so we started with our own core culture, which is probably in my intro, you talked a little bit about self-management. Mm -hmm. That came from, in one way, the halls of Young Street Mission, you know, hmm. what because there was the sense of like, dignity is autonomy. So mm. when you're inviting people in to participate in creating and breaking down systems, community development is less about like a handout. It's more about engaging a community asset-based, right? To think through what are our assets here and how do how can we leverage those together? 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, we just started down that road and just started thinking through what does autonomy look like here from a decision-making perspective? How do we honor people in getting to decide mm-hmm. what their jobs are and how they leave the business? That's a long story. But then we did communities. So culture rose and then community stuff kind of rose up alongside it. And and um, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how to fit 10 years of our experience into our conversation, but we can try <laughs> Mm-hmm. What's interesting to me, Kate, is that you refer to communities who are sounding like they're quite stuck in extreme material mm-hmm. poverty, those kinds of situations. Then you transitioned into this more corporate world where I'm actually guessing that there's no less poverty. It's just different. It's very true. So mm-hmm. true. Because if you ask yourself, like, what what kind, the poverty that I started seeing in the hallways, yeah. not material, but so lonely, and mm. um, a spiritual shallowness because of I don't know it feels like fear, <laughs> mm. and just because you have to sh- like there's this weird assumed pressure that you have to show right. up a certain way, and um, often that's leaving your humanity at the door because to have real conversations is painful. There's not a lot of room for emotion mm. at work. So mm. how can you be an emotionally healthy work? And that's not fair to every workplace for sure or every mm-hmm. downtown Toronto high rise. But when I walked in, that's what we experienced. That's what it felt like. Yeah. So can you share with us what are some of the practical changes that have come mm-hmm. from when you talk about your own culture and how it has changed? Yeah. Um, at the beginning, it was very messy. So I won't mm-hmm. make any bones about that. It was ugly. It yeah. was painful. Uh, one, I think it was the second or third year in, we had an unbelievable turnover rate in our staff. Like, I think it was 40%. So it was so high because we were just, mm-hmm. it was like a train was coming in one direction and it had been going in that direction for so long. And then it was like, you were trying to put the brakes on and be like, we're going to change direction and try to go this other way, which means um, we're asking for the leadership team to have real conversation. We brought in Mm -hmm. all of Patrick Clincioni's material. So Mm. how do you do kind of whatever his triangle is? I forget everything, but like, how do you have real, how do you have a safe space? So you can have real conversation, healthy conflict. And really at the core, we asked leaders to transition a belief system of uh, where they could trust people. And that was very hardcore internal deep work. And so that mm-hmm. was the foundation. And not everybody wanted it. They weren't in for it. We had to break down a lot of silos. Our business was very siloed. We had entities actually fighting against each other for the same business. So mm-hmm. there was just this massive cultural shift at the very beginning. So once we, that groundwork took a couple of years, um, the, the stewardship council was another practical thing we introduced early at the same time that that was happening. So that was our attempt um, to bring a group of employees together to start kind of hosting. There'd always been a bit of a fundraising, volunteering vibe in the company. There was just a sense of like, oh, we give back to the community. But it was um, usually focused on one or two charities that someone around an executive table had picked and rallied around for a year. And we wanted to kind of decentralize that. So we, we brought together a group of employees to start uh, working on the Stewardship Council in 2012. And um, that group just really took on volunteering initiatives, fundraising, and um, that 
that was really fun. That started introducing kind of a levity to, to mm. how we were going about mm. things. And I think intentionally trying to be fun and have fun together and bring the joy was really critical at that stage. And coming out of that transition, I'd say we kind of let that simmer for a couple of years. And then probably year six, seven, we really started going down this road um, of becoming a teal organization. And I don't know if that language is familiar to you. It's um, a gentleman by the name, he's French, Frederick Leloup, wrote an amazing book called Reinventing Organizations. And he has a whole theory but we started looking at our business as an ecosystem as opposed to a hierarchy. And mm. out of that, we've developed um, an operating system that is based on self-management. Self-management is very popular. Zappos was big into it at the time. Netflix was doing a lot of like freedom and responsibility um, culture making. And we drew on a lot of the wisdom there and then really made a system that became our own. Um, that is now how we run our business. And it gives employees autonomy. Um, we don't have managers or bosses. And we've just found a way to make it work. Its, it's foundation is built in good, healthy feedback. That is mm -hmm. kind of the core piece of what we do. And then we do a lot of polarity management teaching. So nothing is a problem to be solved. Everything is a tension to be managed. And mm -hmm. then, um, yeah, there's been growing pains with all of that. And uh, some significant resistance at a mental level for some folks at the beginning. But it is unbelievable yeah. how the folks that I met at the very beginning, who I would have called like the maskiest of all of them, hmm. um, are now fully embracing this way of working because, no, like you don't have parents babysitting kids. Like right. it's not always like, oh, we're having a fight, come solve our problem for us. Mm. Uh, people are empowered to be problem solvers and to own yeah. their stuff and then move it forward. And so, yeah, that has just been so beautiful to see because um, that comes back to the roots of what I was longing for back in the very beginning. It's just seeing people really empowered to own the outcomes. So now all of a sudden, all of the community work we do and the incredible work of the Stewardship Council, which is really now, this is the other beautiful thing. No mm. one has to babysit that. I don't own it. I don't micromanage it. I'm not sitting on top of that group. Every year, there's a rotating incoming chair. There's somebody who manages it. There's an outgoing chair. There's uh -huh. good governance in place. That was all really hard work to set up mm -hmm. and the groundwork was really tricky. But man, that thing runs itself at this point. And it's incredible. Last year, we um, I just saw the annual report and I'm going to get the numbers kind of wrong. But I think we gave away collectively, both with the business and employees, somewhere close to $170,000. And we've Amazing. got 400 employees and um, about a third, between a third and a half of those are in North America. The other are in India. Um, and so it's just incredible. I'm so proud of where we've come um, just by like doing, waking up every day, putting your feet on the floor and doing the hard work of like gutting it out. <laughs> it did not always feel good. It's really beautiful to be in a place like I can look at it now and be like, oh, it feels so good now, but it wasn't easy. Sounds like it was surgery at first. <laughs> yes, that is a great word for it. There were some painful moments. So, yeah, I mean, you're talking about a 10-year process there. And, um, you know, you talk about leadership intent, this mm -hmm. phrase that gets used there a lot. Do you mind sharing a little bit more about that and what, how mm -hmm. that's kind of influenced how yeah. you do things? 
Yeah, um, leadership intent. I'm wondering if I understand the root of your question. So when you ask that question, are you thinking mm-hmm. about when you look at an organization, regardless of if it's a not-for-profit, a business, wherever the organization falls, how a leader's influence in like impacts how things flow and mm-hmm. run and, and the necessity of that? There's no question that if you mm-hmm. don't hold intent... Um, in wherever it may be, in a strategy, or even intent when you walk into a room for a conversation. So what is my, I don't know, I, we, we don't get caught up in jargon because it's mm-hmm. empty. Yeah. And then often sounds like fancy and you're very educated or you know what you're talking about. But it, often you're like, I'm not really exactly sure what that means. I don't know whether to call it like a values-based perspective or mm-hmm. I don't know. But um we have to hold those intentions really clearly. And so at the beginning, that was a small group of people, I think. So it would have been Tim. Tim spent, I watched, he sweated it out. Tim's my husband, if I haven't used his name yet. But mm-hmm. at the beginning, like, oh, it just wrecked him. Like, he actually ended up in panic attacks. We became a B Corp early on. And he was taking this entity that was built in 1957 by his grandmother that had entrenched values. Like, and they were like profit um, staffing is not a pretty business. It can be really ugly. He was not about that. So it was just this, like, he would he would go to B Corp conferences and talk about the change we were trying to make, not as a startup, mm-hmm. but as an established business. Yeah. And there was a time where he did not have the numbers to show for it, you know? like And that mm-hmm. in that sense, that season, it felt like leadership intent was on his shoulders alone. Man, that was mm-hmm. hard to watch. Um, he he got to one conference where he couldn't even get on stage to speak because he's like, I believe in this so much. I believe we can get somewhere where we are for everybody, for our employees, for our um, shareholders, which at that point was honestly only his mom. And like, um, yeah, like I didn't want to let her down, right? Like we owe her millions of dollars for this business that we had like no capital to put into ourselves. So, oh man, like the pressure on a 35-year-old <laughs> who had run his own business as a software developer, but all of a sudden felt responsible at that time for 150 mm-hmm. people in their families was crushing. And he didn't know if his executive team was on board, right? So there was just this sense of like, Man, he was just like a salmon swimming upstream, but he is relentless and he is just such a hard worker and um, just really believed that love would carry the day. So he just kept going into it. And I think the beautiful thing is that leadership intent has become shared. Mm. So this this sense of like, um, if you're in it and you believe in it and you're like, yeah, this is where we're headed. We used to have really formal ways of, of systematizing it. We, we followed the Patrick Lencioni playbook model to a T at the beginning, which I actually mm-hmm. would really recommend people do. It's an amazing mm-hmm. way to make this happen. Like if you want to name your values and your kind of your core, we have three um, polarities that are key to us. And they're, see if I can get them right. They're around like accountability, stewardship, and how something around the wording of... Um, wholeness, just the sense of like being mm-hmm. holy yourself. Um, 
Stewardship is about like kind of like purpose and profit. And then accountability is about like crazy deep hard work. And then also sometimes letting off the brakes. So I'm not, I have not used any of those words properly. We have a, them written in a formal playbook. But now that playbook is now at least two fiscal years old. I kind of blame that on COVID. But every year the playbook has, it used to be really developed by Tim would like press the charge. Like he'd be like, this is where we're headed. We're going to get it all down on paper. Like these are mm -hmm. our key goals. And then that has just become a shared responsibility where now when, when before COVID, when we would have these incredible all-person offsites for a couple of days, we'd bring everybody in the company together. We would do North America and India separately. Um, but sometimes there was a few years where we would always bring um, um, kind of contingents from India to participate with us, which was always super fun. But mm. we would design those collectively. So we follow the liberating structures models. We use a ton of their tools in our meetings now. They're, I don't know if you've ever come across liberating structures. They're mm. online. They're very easy to find. They are like, they, they're like one of my life meeting business hacks. Like there's 33 of them. They're just a rent, they're tools to design a meeting that is participatory. So you don't have one talking head at the front people nodding and taking notes, like you're really gleaning the wisdom from the room. And so we run um, meetings where all of a sudden we just, we're at this place where like everyone is fully invited to participate in becoming a leader. So it's maybe for new hires, I wonder sometimes if it's hard to integrate into our business because like the learning curve is so steep. We have all of these things we believe and care about and ways that we do them. Um, and we have a trial period for three months where like, it's a really a two way street. So if you're, if you're in and you love it, like you are yeah. in, and we have a, a graduation ceremony at three months to say like, welcome you, here's a credit card. Like we got married, like mm -hmm. you have the right to make any decision in this business. But sometimes people are like, whoa, I, I just want people to make decisions for me. I like it better that way. Like I, I don't, it's too risky. Maybe like mm -hmm. I. And even people stay in our business and they love our jobs and then they outsource their decision-making to other people, which is totally cool too. Like we, we really want to respect the diversity of, of kind of people makeup that we have in our business. And so mm -hmm. not everyone needs to be like assertive and an amazing writer. A lot of our stuff happens in writing and decision-making, but yeah, we've found a way to kind of like make that work. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking that perhaps some of our listeners have questions at this point. And so I would invite you, if you're listening and you'd like to participate in this conversation, please feel free to email us at podcast at fhcanada.org so that we can continue this conversation. Kate, when you and I first chatted, we were talking about how Food for the Hungry partners with businesses so that we can tackle poverty internationally. Mm -hmm. I would love to hear you speak a little mm -hmm. bit to the statement that we often use that businesses are uniquely positioned to tackle poverty. How do you respond to mm -hmm. that? What What do you think about that? Yeah, I had to come to a, a I was a super, I don't know if indoctrinated is the right word. When I worked, I worked in kind of a social justice Christian world for eight years, probably. And um, I did not have a lot of deep respect for, this is not fair, money, wealth, business. Like, I don't know, I had just landed in this place of like, social justice is truly like, it's the people on the street making a difference who like, we did not make any money. Like our salaries at that time were, they have, I think it's changed at this point, but they were 
poor to bad. Like if my husband wasn't struggling and running his own business, I don't know how I could have done it. I don't know how people did it. Like we were roughly on the poverty line ourselves as workers. And so, I don't know. I I had to grow up, I think, when we stepped into owning this business. Mm-hmm. I had to like mm-hmm. reconcile making money and not feel guilty about it. Like, and just think through the choices of how we would live and how we would use those funds. And I, it just felt radically unfair. Like, we are in the position we're in simply because of the family my husband was born into and our own grit and desire to, like, roll up our sleeves and take it on and work hard. Those two things. But Mm. lots of people have grit and determination and cannot break into an opportunity to save their lives. So, when I, I look at business as, like, we have a deep responsibility, I don't think government can solve anything by itself. Like, they can't. Like, we've watched, and I admire the role they play and and the work that they have to do. They work so hard, and I'm so glad I'm not called into that world because I would just be a mess all the time because your hands, you cannot make everybody happy. But business doesn't, isn't asked to make everybody happy. So there's this beautiful thing of um, uh, being positioned in a unique way where you do have freedom. So, like, I have been given permission to try to to make funds. And so, how do we do that in a way that really honors what the gospel is about? Is really always my call. Like, how do we do that in a way that um, that I would I want to stand before Jesus and just I want to be really proud of all the ways we did it. So, what that means is like. If we are profitable, we are responsible for sharing, first of all. I think business is uniquely positioned to share. I also think business is uniquely positioned to create jobs and think about how to share those with people. Um, I don't think when I was in community in Young Street Mission, more than anything, people want the dignity of work. And I think there's a big misnomer around like people's non-desire to work. Perhaps that has been conditioned in some families over generations. But honestly, at our core, we're designed for healthy work, not insane overwork, but um, business can create jobs. And then just think really practically about how we hire. And so as a staffing business, one of our pieces, not only through like, how do we give money away and involve our employees in it and look at how we can make an impact through profit and sharing, which is a huge piece. And you need to consider how you do that well and effectively and kind of with honor for all parties involved. But then also we often um, are pushing our clients to consider stepping away from a resume So as you know, when people are coming out of um, impoverished communities, their resumes and their connections are going to look really, really different than a family who grows up in another Mm -hmm. part of town. And so what does it look like? Do we ask our clients to consider um, removing barriers of like having minimums of like years worked in Canada before they will hire? What does, because honestly, if we can find a candidate who is exceptional, um, why are we holding that as a requirement? So those are the kind of conversations we're having as a business and we're, we are in that position to do so. So as our, in our business, we just look around and think to ourselves, like, what is our responsibility here? Where are we? Where have we been placed? And what can we do here? So we have, and so we have, um, and we've got an incredible woman who has worked with us for five years and she's really, really passionate um, individual, but she's got an incredible hunger to see uh, us tackle Indigenous employment. Mm. 
Hmm. and work on the issue of indigenous poverty. And so at this point, that's become almost her full-time job. She was hired. She's she's got her PhD in poetry, but she's an amazing writer. And she was like, ah, she's like Exxon business at the beginning. She was like, she might might call herself an anarchist, but um, should we have won her over over five years? And like, she sees the purpose of business and just loves, we love having her. And like, this is her job at this point. And so we have backfilled her role. And so there are other um, grant proposal writers, like RFP writers on the team now. Um, And she was the first really, actually, she took it on and became her role. But she's transitioned into like championing this. And we have, Mm. we have, we just believe in it. So it's a paid position in the company at this point. And um, and that is our responsibility too. It's really exciting. It's really neat to see the headway she's made, and it's just required. You know what? That's leadership intent too. Like it's just it's mm-hmm. just finding like okay, this person is a natural leader in this area. This is her passion. So we're just going to create space for her to run with it. And um, I mean, it's, again, it's not easy. I think she's getting interesting mm-hmm. resistance even within our business about like, hey, how are we doing recruiting? And like, we've got processes for this, and I don't know. We work it out. But I think that the, our core, we're really willing to have hard conversations and we walk away knowing that it's actually like people aren't torn down personally. We've just had to work on a hard issue together. So Eric, you and I have a disagreement on how we do this really important thing and maybe gets heated and we have a real conversation about it. At the end of the day, we're still having coffee together, laughing about like what our kids are up to. Like mm-hmm. we care for each other and we love one another, but we can talk about things and um, we don't let the crap fester without a- addressing it. And that is the groundwork that mm-hmm. I think has allowed us to be where we are today because without doing that hard work at the beginning, and that yeah. is hard work to make that a norm in a culture is hard work, but that's what allows for the really exciting stuff that Tim longed for right at the beginning. It just takes a really long time. For sure. And yeah. you mentioned, was it Patrick Len- Lencioni? Yes. Who you used? Yeah. Okay, so He's that's an amazing sort of writer. Was a, an important, yeah, exactly. An important mm-hmm. voice in that yeah. beginning process. I'm curious for those who, you know, business owners, entrepreneurs, yeah. just anyone listening to this who wants to learn more about kind of anything you're talking about, mm-hmm. everything that you're talking about, where would you point them in terms of books, in terms of resources? Yeah. You where know, our, we've got a website that has our operating system, bam, up in front mm. and center. And then I think somewhere on the left-hand side, there's like a history or a resources link and a lot of our journey mm. and our favorite resources are listed there. So it's pretty easy to find it. It's um, I'm just going to double check it as I say this. So I know it. Yep. It is uh, teal.ianmartin.com. So that's T-E-A-L dot I-A-N-M-A-R-T-I-N dot com. And that's just open. And um, awesome. I, yeah, resources are there. Great. Thank you. Um, wonderful. Kate, this has been fascinating. I feel like we can listen to you forever going on and on about all these amazing initiatives that you guys have undertaken. Thank you uh, for the effort that you and your husband are putting into making your business a place of influence. Mm -hmm. What strikes me, I think, through this whole conversation is, and you've referred to this at one point, that love will win at the end of the day. And I think your story, your business, it exudes love and influence. So I just really appreciate all that you're doing and so much appreciate the time that you've taken to be with us today. Well, an honor and a pleasure. Thank you. You're both 
delightful. So thanks so much for this. Great. Was there anything that we missed? Was there any questions that you wish we had asked? Anything that you wanted to comment on or add before we say goodbye? Um, I'm trying to think of something cheeky, but I'm so bad on the fly. In five minutes, I'm going to think, oh, I should have said that. No, it's been a pleasure. I think I think that what I would leave people with is that if people feel daunted, it's, it's, it is possible. So if mm. you're working, mm. whether it's for-profit or not-for-profit, in an environment that doesn't feel healthy, it is possible to get there. And so feed the books into the right hands. Um, if you're a leader, oh, it's just a beautiful invitation, but also responsibility to take seriously. Like, I don't mm. know, we spend so much time with people at work, um, more than our own family members, that like, I think not only for the greater world, but even for people's home lives. And like, think about how influential that is for their kids and then their communities. To love being at work is not a small thing. I think some people are like, it's not profitable. How could we get there? At the beginning, we could not connect it to profit. Mm. Now we absolutely can. It took a long time. Mm. It was a slow burn. And there were a few years where our margins were so tight. We were like, is this really, like, we think mm. it's heading in the right direction, but like, man, yeah. the lid blew off in this last year. And we can only credit that to all the work that we did to lead up to this point. And I mean, it's just our employees are exceptional people and they work their butts off. And um, I think they love being at work. And so it's not a small thing. It just might take a little while to get there, but I would just say it's possible. To explore what your next steps could be, or find out more about the Ian Martin Group and what other Canadians are doing about poverty, start by checking out fhcanada.org resources. 